0: Ro khaybar ro khageven a sharif ta habasem dehoyo behaya ashe dehoyo ashe Hello and welcome to Praying on Purpose. As we continue to explore the question of why we pray, a question which seems to yield an unlimited number of perspectives and possibilities, I'd like to take this opportunity to direct our attention to the Haftarah that we read yesterday for Parshas Yisro. The Haftarah comes from the sixth chapter of Sefer Yeshayahu, in which the Navi records... One of the most extraordinary visions ever reported by a prophet. In fact, the rabbis teach us that the Ma'isim Kava, this particular vision of the heavenly court of the Kisia Kavod, is among the most cryptic and esoteric visions ever experienced by a prophet. And in fact, they warn us not to probe too deeply to understand the text because there's really a great limit as to how much we can really understand. He describes seeing winged angels which would call to one another with the words that we are so familiar with kadosh kadosh kadoshhemtvakolo arevado so although the maisonkov is something which is so hidden from us we can't really understand it it does there are passages from this particular chapter of Navi which do inspire our prayers every time we daven and there's a point in which the Navi says that he finds himself in a space that becomes completely filled with smoke and he says. Ki Nidmisi, woe is to me, Ki Nidmisi. What do those words mean, Ki nidmeisi? So Rashi tells us Ki means, for I will die. He says that the word Nidmisi comes from the word mace, like a corpse, one who is dead. And this is based on an idea that the Torah tells us that when Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, kivodecha, allow me please to see your glory, Hashem says, lo yir'ani It is impossible for a person to see me and continue to live. And so therefore, the Navi fears that he has seen too much, that this particular vision was so overwhelming, that he had come so close, so to speak, to actually perceiving God himself, that he says, Oili kiden meisi, woe is to me, for now my soul must leave my body, I cannot possibly continue to live. This is the approach of Rashi, the Matsudos. This seems to be the simple understanding of this Pasuk. I'd like to share with you a perspective of the Dubna Magid, as taught over by both Rav Pam of Racha and Yibadah Lachayim Rabbi Friend, such a beautiful perspective from the Dumbna who explains an alternate interpretation. He says that the word Nidmaisi does not come from the word mace, but rather from the word Dimyon, which means imagination. And he says that the Navi is saying, O me, what is to me, Ki because I am living in an illusionary world. And the Dumbna Magid, in the way that only he can, helps us understand this, with a mashal, with a parable. And he says there was once a small village which was made up of a small number of people, 15, 20 people, all of whom were completely ignorant. And it was such a poor and small village that they could not even afford a rabbi. And there was one Jew who seemed to know more than anyone else in the village, and he was considered to be the town scholar. And people would come and they would ask all of the shyless to this Jew. What would they ask him? They would ask questions like, when do I have yard for my father? Or when is Rosh Chodesh? And when is my son going to be bar mitzvah? And they thought that these were the most difficult questions. And the fact of the matter is that he always knew the answers. This individual was considered to be, compared to everybody else in this village, quite an extraordinary scholar. And as you can imagine, over time, this sort of got to him. It got to his head. He thought that he was, in fact, the town of And he got all the covet in this community. He would get the most chash of And he would always be considered to be the great rub in this town. And one day, this Jew had to travel to the big city. And he comes to a shul, and he sees that there are a group of people learning. And what are they learning? They're learning the Sefer Ein Yaakov. Ein Yaakov is a compilation of various agaditas from the Gemara. It is not considered to be the most taxing of texts. And he was blown away by the discussion. He's seeing all these Jews sitting over the text of the Ein Yaakov, and he could not even understand what they were talking about. And he assumed that he'd walked into a shul of great Torah scholars and figured that it was completely out of his league. And so he said, you know, I'm going to find another shul in which to pray. And he goes to another shul, and they're learning Mishnayos, which is, of course, in some ways more complex than in Yaakov, but also relatively elementary, as we know. And again, he was clueless as to what was being discussed. He had no idea what was going on. And suddenly it hit him. It suddenly occurred to him that he was, in fact, not the great Talmud Chacham that he thought he was. And he becomes completely struck by this sudden awareness he becomes struck by this reality, and he says, ki nidmesi. Woe is to me because I have been deceiving myself. I've been living in a world of my own imagination. I thought that I was such a scholar. I thought that I was such a learned person. And he says, Woe to me that I've been imagining it all along. I now realize that I don't know the meaning of a simple Mishnah. I don't even know who the Tanoim are. I don't know what these people are talking about. I know nothing despite the fact that for my entire life, I have been living and I've been treated as if I was this extraordinary scholar. And that when Magni says that this was Yishayahu's reaction upon seeing the heavenly court, he says, here I thought that I was a prophet. I thought that I was close to the Bona People used to come to me and I would give them advice. I was known as a man of God. But now I got a glimpse of what it's really all about. I saw the angels. I saw the Shechina. And he says, woe is to me oily kidnit meisi, because I realized that I am so far from the truth. This, I believe, is the most extraordinary explanation of this phrase oily kidnit Macy. And I believe it is very relevant to us because we live in a time which is known as the age of information. It has never before in all of time been as easy as it is today to access and obtain information. We have the world of information at our fingertips. I remember when I first started teaching and I would tell my students, listen, if you have a question, I can't promise that I'm going to know the answer, but I'm going to give you my word that I'm going to try my best to find an answer within 24 hours. And today, if I would tell that to my students today, they would laugh at me. 24 hours? Why do you need 24 hours to find an answer to my questions? It should be pretty simple. In fact, they would say, Rabbi, we don't even need you. We can find the answer ourselves. And so therefore, we live in a very, very complicated time. On the one hand, we live in a time in which everyone has access to all the information in the world, a time in which it would seem on the surface that everyone knows everything. But the truth of the matter is, just because we have access to information doesn't mean that we know everything. In fact, it doesn't mean we know anything. And so therefore, we have to be very careful, because as people who value information, and as people who are connected to an extraordinary misorah, of information, of unlimited knowledge, we have to be very careful not to deceive ourselves, to imagine for a moment that because of the fact that we have access to the internet, that we are in fact extraordinary scholars. And undoubtedly, we find ourselves in situations from time to time where we're curious about something and want to understand a sugya or explore a halachic shayla, and we will Google it. And without a doubt, there's benefit in having that sort of access but we dare not fall into the trap to imagine that because of the fact that we can access information with the push of a button, that we are somehow now automatically considered to be extraordinary scholars. And just as Yishayahu comes to this point where he sees something which is so beyond him, and he catches just a little glimpse for a moment of being in the extraordinary presence of the Shechina, and he says, Oili ki nid woe is to me, because I've been imagining all along that I really understand what's going on. I had been assuming that because of my stature, because of my knowledge, because of my experience, I understood everything. And now I realize that, in fact, I know very, very little. Oily Kinnit Macy. And it occurs to me that perhaps tefillah can and should function in a similar way for each and every one of us. Last Sunday, I believe I mentioned that the tefillah sort of operates a little bit like a checklist, that there are important priorities that we should have in life that we do not necessarily think of automatically. There are things that we should be thinking about. There are matters of personal and national significance that were not for the fact that we were prompted each and every day by the Anshei Knesset Sagadola to keep this sort of on the top of our minds and on the tips of our tongues, we wouldn't do so. And so therefore we get prompted. The Shemot Esrei reminds us that, you know, these are things that we should be thinking about. And I think that there's great value in thinking about davening along those lines. But to sort of take it almost to the next level, if you will, I think that there's another takeaway for us. And that is this perspective of Oili and Macy. The fact of the matter is that there are many, many aspects of our life in which we can, from time to time, feel as if we are really controlling our own destiny. We feel like we are in charge. We feel like we are driving. We are at the wheel. And if we think about the words that we say when we daven and we remind ourselves that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the source of all the goodness that we have in life. If we remind ourselves that all of the blessings that we have in life are coming from His goodness and so therefore we need to constantly tap into that and to turn to Him and to ask Him for that continued assistance so that can remind us that we are in fact not in charge. Allah for my own mashal not going to compete with the Dubna Magid. But I remember that when my kids were younger, they used to have in the supermarket, the in front of the cart, there was like a little car that the kid would sit in the car and as the parent was pushing the wagon, the child would feel as if they were driving up and down the aisles. And so therefore, it was a great way to take your kid along to the supermarket and to keep them distracted and they would have a good time. And I remember how exciting it was for my kids to feel like they were actually driving through the supermarket, right? So they would have their hand on the wheel. And if it was time to turn right, they would turn right. If it was time to turn left, they would turn left. And they imagined, Ke'ilu, I'm driving. Look at me, it's amazing. I am driving. I'm three years old, I'm five years old. I don't even have a license in here. I am driving all my way through the supermarket. That's what it felt like. And it was so exciting for them. And of course, I wouldn't want to do anything to spoil a really special moment for a child whose world is a world of imagination and fantasy. But I do remember at one point being struck by that and thinking to myself, you know, to a certain extent, I live my life the same way. I go through life holding onto the wheel, feeling as if I'm the one in charge. I turn right when I want to turn right. I turn left when I want to turn left. If I want to pull over, I pull over. If I want to go fast, I go fast. I want to go, I go slow. And there's this feeling that we have very often in life, as if we are in charge. Everything I want, I can just go ahead and access. And when things are going smoothly, and we are not hitting too much resistance, so that's in fact the feeling that we have. Look at me. I am really, I'm in charge. I am driving. But then, if we take a step back and we realize what's really happening, we realize that that's not, in fact, the way it works. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us the feeling as if we are controlling the wheel, and he does this because he holds us accountable to actually go ahead and to move in this world and to act and to engage in what we call hishtabas, to receive the bounty that he wants to send our way. But yet, as we remind ourselves every day, that HaKadosh Baruch is the source of Parnassah. So, HaKadosh Baruch is the one who provides sustenance to everyone. It is not my actions alone, but it is HaKadosh Baruch facilitating this. And so, therefore, I may feel as if I am driving, but Kaddish Baruch who is is really the one who is driving. And so, therefore, I do think that Tefillah can operate in a similar manner. That when we daven, we can stop for a moment and we could say, Oili kidnid mesi, as the Divna Magad said, Woe is to me because I have been living in a world of dimion in imagination. I tell myself throughout the day that I am in charge, that I am leading the way. It is my actions, my decisions, my choices that to the extent in life that I feel that I'm able to achieve and to accomplish, it is because of me, is because my efforts. Look what I have accomplished. It is kochi yadi. It is my strength. It is my initiative. But the Torah reminds us, to us Hashem that we should remember Hashem, ki hu la'asos That HaKadosh Baruch hu gives us the capacity, the ability, the power, the strength to go ahead and to achieve and to accomplish in this world. And so there, therefore, tefillah can function as a moment of clarity, a moment in which we can say, Oili ki nidmisi, woe is to me because I have deceived myself, imagining for a moment as if I am in charge. And so therefore, as we consider again the question of why we daven, I submit to you today an additional perspective, and that is that prayer serves as an opportunity for us to go ahead and sort of bust that myth, that myth that we are somehow in control that everything that I do, everything I accomplish in life, is all a function of my own efforts. It is my yishtadus alone, and the answer is no. And Tefillah can serve to remind us that every time we daven. If we look again, and again and again, at all the things we are asking at Kaddish Baruch Hu for, we remind ourselves that we need Him for everything. We rely on Him for everything. And so for example, as we said recently, when we were talking about the Brach of Asher Yatsar, we depend on you constantly. Everything, every breath I take is a function of your kindness and your goodness. This is one additional benefit, an additional purpose, a function of prayer. May we always remember every time we daven that we have such an opportunity to tap in to this very important life lesson. And that is that HaKadosh Baruch and HaKadosh Baruch Hu alone is the one who is truly in charge. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful night.